0: This, this is this Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I am here with Dr. Susan Kleiner. Susan, why don't you talk to people a little bit? Uh, we would probably have a little bit more time, uh, both you and I on our hands, <laughs> and I think that's the case for a lot of people as well. If you're listening to this five years from now, we're kind of in the midst of the coronavirus COVID-19 um, of semi quarantines really not a quarantine if you can leave your house right um but for the most part uh every everyone's world has changed so i think uh can you talk to people a little bit about where they can find you and especially you know your book can be found on amazon talk a little bit about those things
1: thanks paul yeah it's great to be here uh i'm coming from seattle so we've been in the midst of this for a lot longer <clears throat> than the rest of the country. Um, you can find me at drskleiner.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Powereat and on Facebook, Dr. Susan Kleiner. You can find my book on Amazon. It's called The New Power Eating. And I'm actually getting a lot of hits on a book that is now only available electronically and that's called The Good Mood Diet. Uh, and so people seem to be more interested in that right now, although certainly there's a lot of um, conversation and discussion and information about the brain in the New Power Eating. In fact, I have uh, two chapters, uh, two new chapters just on the brain, uh, one on supplements, one on foods and diet uh, in the New Power Eating. And you could find both of those on, on Amazon, you can order them from my website, drskleiner.com. So just a, um, a little bit from Seattle and from our perspective. So we have kind of self-quarantined for nearly three weeks here because the, the high level of tech industry allowed for, I don't know how many, 100,000 people plus uh, were taken off the roads, uh, work from home uh, in very early March. And <clears throat> for the past week, we have been, um, it's over a week now, We the governor asked us all to be home, um, including my husband, who has a periodontal practice, and all dentists and medical practices uh, doing anything other than urgent or emergency care have been um, legally closed for two months until May 18th, both because it's a high risk uh, profession to be in, but also because especially dentists use all that personal protective equipment that is desperately needed in the hospitals right now. So we sent all of our supplies off to hospitals in the area to be used. And I can say that we are staying home, um, we go out, uh, only one of us will go into the grocery store or into a store at a time when we go out. I did purchase nearly three weeks of supplies once uh, my husband finished at his office so that we could self, really self-quarantine, as you said, Paul, really not go out in case we were exposed at the dental office and um the data today so we are on march 27th we are starting to see a curve in the state of washington rather than a spike going straight up so i want to encourage people who are watching this in current time to really heed the uh, public health recommendations and warnings to certainly wash your hands don't touch your face and and stay inside as much as possible
0: so just so everyone knows susan and i talked about this where you know we're really going to focus on more of a um positive type of podcast but but there's just so many things that you it's just hard to not bring up right Um, in in any of these conversations. Um, I did want to backtrack for just a second. Uh, I can be found uh, at eat2perform.com. We are doing something that that we've not done probably in three years, right? Um, We used to do free trials. The service was a little bit different, but we kind of viewed this as an opportunity where people were going to need more help I'm not sure that people are feeling it right now, right? I mean, the um, and, and I'm going to have some suggestions on, on how to kind of maybe get out of the funk a little bit because it's just really easy to be kind of caught up in, you know, to, you know, really feelings that, um, if, if they're not depression, they borderline on depression, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, we definitely wanted to, to be more available for people, um, even with the, the the high level of service that we normally have, which we are normally operating at capacity, right? And so uh, this just allows for a little bit more opportunity for some people to get exposed to coaching, because I really feel like a lot of people that, that look at any type of diet intervention, for the most part, they don't really... Get to coaching. They get to coaching too late. If they got Mm -hmm. to coaching earlier, they could do things a a little bit better. And I think especially the way that Susan and I do it, where we're not really talking. In fact, Susan, we talk about this most of the podcast. Really, just focuses on performance. We kind of do a hybrid of the two, but we we tend to still focus on the food part. That was one of the the really cool things. If you get a chance to listen to the last podcast, um Susan broke down really good um, the relationship between cortisol and and insulin and and basically how to manage stress and immune system health um during moments like this right and I think it's uh You know, there's been a lot of noise related to low-carb diets and intermittent fasting, like really long intermittent fasting. And those things, especially in moments like these where you're really aggressively dieting, is just a bad idea, you know? And it's a worse idea this week than it was last week, Mm -hmm. right? It does feel like, I I mean, it's surreal. (laughs) It is surreal being involved with this right and and just having your whole life changed and we're in an online business right we're not like susan's husband or you know she does some online coaching and and that's where i'll, I'll bring up the next part um but for the most part like their family has, has changed my family really hasn't changed um my wife works for a well-known um, financial company. So they're still kind of busy. But one thing that I was thinking about as you were talking, could Jeff Bezos hit the lottery more? I mean, like, not only does this guy have Amazon, which is obviously huge fuel for his financial engine, but he just bought for Whole Foods too. So, so the two things that most people would need right now, you know, we couldn't get toilet paper You know, we might have joked about this last time, um, but luckily, you know, really early on, I just ordered, you know, what I thought we might need and it said, well, you know, it's going to be seven to 10 days and it just got here, um, which which I'm like (laughs) thrilled about, you know. Um, I do think that uh, the grocery stores and stuff like that are starting to become a little bit more reasonable. Right. A lot of the bagels that we would buy or, or some of these types of things, um, you know, you're starting to see them show up on, on the shelves a little bit more. So so that's a good thing. But I was just thinking to myself, man, the guy buys a grocery store chain after owning Amazon. You know, they're they're literally one of the, the, the best businesses as it relates to being protected in this environment right right
1: right. Um, you know it's been really interesting when talking about the grocery store and food and behaviors um you know so many stories uh, you know what's what's hit us personally here two things one is that we know that people's behaviors around food and shopping have changed and they've changed dramatically it happens that my daughter works for a company called the hartman group and the hartman group is an anthropological group that studies food behaviors and food culture. And so they are undertaking right now and work from home, um, but interviewing people virtually around the country about how the coronavirus has impacted their food choices, food selections and shopping behaviors. And so that will be fascinating and for me, when this is here in Seattle, I'd say it was, you know, so we were hit first. Uh, First case here was January 24th. By mid February, as we started to recognize that schools were gonna be closed, there was no flour on the shelves, none, zero. And now nationwide, there's pretty much no flour. It's a supply chain issue. They're gonna, they can manufacture as much flour as we need. But it became a supply chain issue, particularly because um, typical purchasing of flour wheat flour had dropped based on the the popularity of low carb diets. But the minute that families saw that they were going to be home, they wanted to be baking with their kids so it 's just fascinating watching all of this.
0: Well my sister literally just put a put a um a meme up and it said, how can all the bread be going on when five minutes ago, all of you guys were keto?
1: <laughs> right,
0: um, which so I, do, I
1: actually, I I actually went, up to the, went up to the mill yesterday in, in Northern um, uh, Washington. It's a wonderful mill to get flour because I couldn't get any flour. And if you follow me, you'll see that I am a big whole grain baker. And so, and I, if you're interested in starting this, it's a wonderful thing to learn to do. And it is super healthy. And we've had the whole grain discussion and how critically it is to be eating whole grains to fuel your immune system and keep your metabolism going, uh, fight inflammation, uh, whole grains. So if you're interested in following me there, I am posting... Really great resources on how to learn, how to bake, and all of that.
0: So let's get into um, some of the, the 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 adjustments that that you and I are making because I wanted to really kind of focus on you know just positive things that people can can sort of bring to their life. And so so one of the things I, I sort of noticed, I mean, I don't know if you started watching this Tiger um, show on on Netflix. That everybody's talking about.
1: I'm um, watching Altered Carbon.
0: <laughs> yeah. they. Um, so we we did watch two episodes this thus far. And last night, we were just like, you know what? We need something uplifting. And so uh, my wife and I went and saw the movie yesterday um, in movie theaters right. like a yeah, year ago. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Or, or something like that. And uh, my daughter hadn't seen it. And so, so we watch that together, and I, we've always had my, both my wife and I. We we admittedly go, you know, just don't watch movies again, right? We just think I've already seen it. <laughs> That's one of the the advantages of aging, I think, is that uh, <laughs> you forget, you know, the majority of the movie. Um, I think partially because <laughs> you've got other things going, and then you've used it as a distraction in that moment. So I think what we're going to be doing is, is looking for more of those kind of uplifting movies from the past. There is a podcast um, podcasts are, are a big, huge thing right now for me. Um, I just find that it's very difficult, you know, as a sports fan, as an example, um, um, I have an interesting story. I feel for you about you. That. <laughs> yeah. But as a, as I have an interesting story um, that hits home for you. But um, I, I find that watching the people debating about free agency or whatever, you know, is not really interesting to me. I'm much more interested in these long form podcasts. And uh, it's funny because I know that that you've worked with Sue Bird in the past and you've had some, some uh, you know, experiences with Megan Rapinoe, and I listened to a podcast, the JJ Redick podcast, with them um, last night, and about a week ago they were on the shop also on HBO. Oh right, yeah. And every time I listen to them, every time I I hear them talk, first of all, I think that this is such a wonderful time for women's athletics, right? And and really feels like a, a springboard for you know women's athletics. It is interesting though because like my daughter, as an example, I was watching the documentary "Women of Troy," which is the story of Cheryl Miller. Uh, but, but backtracking for just a second, but Sue Bird and, and Mega Rapino feel like a couple <laughs> America needs right now. Right? Um, they're just they're just so so fun to listen to. Um, and you know, on the JJ Reddick podcast, they were talking about the workouts they were doing, which is, is, it's just silly workouts because we're right. all doing like these silly workouts.
1: She's but got her niece going. She's got her niece doing the, the, the basketball routine podcasts. It's a li- or, or uh, uh, little videos. It's great.
0: Yeah. And then, um, so we, I was watching the women of Troy, Documentary on HBO, which I really liked a lot. It was it was basically the story of Cheryl Miller, who's thought to be the best female basketball player of all time. Um, her career was cut short because of an injury, an injury mm-hmm. that if you had now, you would be able to just get a, a surgery and, and people right. recover from six months. And back then, it was a uh, was a uh, it ended your career. And uh, I was watching it with my daughter. And my daughter's not, you know, she ran cross country, but that was about it, right? She she does drum line, which is very athletic, but for the most part, she's not really interested in female athletics, right? She's not even interested in the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, which, you know, a lot of younger girls who play soccer, you know, do tend to kind of come up and, and, and then they start to idolize those people and then... And watch them. Um, but it seems like there's, there's more interest on the male side in female athletics than it can be on the female side a lot of the time because there's a lot of other things. I'll just give you an example. There's way more women that watch The Bachelor right, than would watch any female athletic activity. Right. So so the my point being is that if you're a man in Minnesota, right, and the bachelor was on or the Minnesota Vikings were on, you're watching the Vikings. Right. I think if if you had the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team on, even if you're really into soccer and the bachelor was on, I think a lot of women choose the bachelor in that instance. And I i I just wonder I how think it's kind I of. I think it's
1: to. very. I think it's very individual. You know, I have to say, in my family, our personal experiences are very different. In my family, I'm the sports fan. My husband would never, unless he's just being nice and hanging out with me, would never watch any kind of sports um, that were any kind of team sport. He just doesn't care. Um, In my family, my brother, who has a daughter, uh, they together have watched sports um, her whole life. And when she has her girlfriends over to watch The Bachelor, he watches too. Um, And this is a 65-year-old guy, you know. Um, I think that the boys, uh, or the, the, the guy friends of my daughters, uh, will watch the shows that they're watching. Uh, and the girls will watch the shows that the guys are watching, um, because of community. Um, and sometimes it's sports and sometimes it's, other stuff. Sometimes it's sci-fi. I just think it's very individualized. I don't think any longer you can make those kinds of generalizations. I don't do that anymore because I don't think it applies. There may be communities where it applies, but I don't think that the data supports huge swaths of generalizations any longer.
0: I hear you, right? And the argument that I'm going to make in your favor would be CrossFit, right? And I think a lot of it does come down to participation, right? So the thing that's always interesting about the CrossFit games, and I always wonder, like, who's watching this, right? Um, Because I know that us as CrossFitters are watching it, right? But, um, and I know that, you know, it's sort of like, you know, with my experience with poker, it used to be everyone would watch poker. And then, you know, my dad would talk about it because he knew that, that it was something that I was very good at. And then he would talk about hands that were being played and things of that nature. And then years later, you know, it kind of kind of niched down to kind of the people that participated with the, the large amount of viewers. Even though right now, um, it's still interesting watching someone hit the lottery. Right. Um, but I do think participation matters there, right? And I think that um, you know, like as an example, I mean what I was talking about a lot last uh spring was I really got into women's softball, right? It was way more intriguing to me than even the college. It's a faster
1: game, it's a faster game.
0: It's a faster game. It was much harder to hit the ball, right? The the women pitching is just amazing what they can do, and then it's so close, right? right. And um, but but the thing that the thing that uh, I liked about it most, and this is actually one of the things that I think if people were to watch women's athletics more, they would. You know, once again, I'm going to talk with the generalization and, and, and I'm fine with that because at the end of the day, I think that there are some things that have happened. And what I see with a lot of the younger um, gals, especially college age, high school age, is there's a lot more enthusiasm because they don't have this pressure of going to play professional athletics right? So like, for instance, for basketball, there's AAU for men's basketball. And there's a lot of people that, you know, parents are pushing it, things of this nature, where these boys are feeling this undue pressure, right? Like I remember, I I never felt the pressure because I didn't feel like, like I was talented enough. Um, I did actually have um, some sniffs at the minor leagues, right? Um, But I never, ever took it serious in that regard and always had more fun when you watch women's softball they're chanting the whole time right the whole time they they have like these little routines right. and stuff like that it's just so much fun to watch and I think that's the thing that we love about things like March Madness and things like you know these um, local sports and area sports that People get attached to more, um, just because you know that the University of Washington's always going to be in Washington, right? <laughs> and, and I always think that that's interesting. And so I feel like uh, if you know, once sports comes back, if you get a chance, I think you know, just kind of keep an eye out for that, right? Because I I just feel like this pressure of. I play baseball so that eventually I can make it to the major leagues. The the women's sports, there's not these professional leagues out there, right? And so- Well, they're, I,
1: they're there, but they don't make any money. So <laughs> you yeah, have well, to know but, that you're going to do something else.
0: Okay, so let me further my argument, right? If you know that you're going to be, like even in the WNBA, you know, of course they make nothing compared to the, the NBA, and one of the really cool things about the WNBA-NBA relationship is the fact that uh, many of the male basketball players vehemently support the WNBA, and, and they do have a kinship with the um, women players, and I think, I I've always thought it was interesting that, you know, the Seattle Storm stayed even as the Sonics left.
1: Well, cause they I were purchased, that. they were purchased in there. So the, the, the storm are independently owned. They don't have an NBA big brother. Um, and so they it's, there are three women who stepped up and bought the storm from Howard Schultz. So, cause he didn't, you know, they, nobody, well, actually it was, I can't remember Schultz didn't want them either. It was before Schultz and company. They, I believe, bought the storm from the Ackerley brothers. I could be wrong. Um, but they stepped up and they bought the storm when they, the storm were just going to go away. And so um, different from the LA Sparks or um, you know, many of the teams around the country um, who have the deep pockets of an NBA brother team the storm does not they don't have their own practice facility they don't have hardly anything yet they shine and um and they're run on a shoestring uh and i know because i've been their high performance nutritionist for a long time and yeah, so That's why I so it. the 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 it is the sense of community here So in the past couple years, the storm has outpaced the rest of the teams around the rest of the league in filling the arena. And I believe in their championship year, 2018, they filled the arena 11 times and so sold out. So the community is starting. It it, it takes time to build community. Now the WNBA has been around 20 years, yet compared to the NBA, it's a fraction of the time. And so they are building, um, the, our, our pro, pro soccer league, women's league is tiny compared to the WNBA at this point, yet they are building. Everything takes time, it's about creating community, they are learning as they go, as they get the, the support from the male leagues um, in not money, but recognition. Like you're saying, like what the NBA has done with the WNBA and the partnership that has been growing there, it makes a huge difference because otherwise they're invisible. Nobody even knows they're there. And and well, it's only through that that visibility on on TV commercials and even during male sporting events that you see that there are women professional teams. That's how this grows over time. So w-
0: when I mentioned the shop, um, the shop is a show produced and 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 done by LeBron James. Right. So when when you know he's done such a phenomenal job of getting, you know, women on the show. Um, I wanna back up for just a second though, because there there is a part of me that that thinks that some of the, and I'll agree with you that, that these are generalizations and they are stereotypes, But but sometimes stereotypes do exist for a reason. And I think that guys, as an example, are we're just consumed by sports in a way that I do think is different. I agree with you. It's highly individual, but I don't think it's healthy. Right. I also think, you know, as someone that, uh, is familiar with gambling, um, this is actually interesting because I don't gamble at all. Um, really I, I haven't even played a hand of poker. Ironically, um, some of my old poker friends did organize a (laughs) tournament um and so i'm going to play that uh, online and it's going to be funny because the people in that tournament where it's a it's like a 20 dollar tournament and you know everyone in the tournament is relatively well known right like we're all um we're we're followed back in the day and and some have gone on to be really good but I think it's really the the gambling aspect that has not permeated over to female culture, right? Um, I'm not saying that there aren't women that yeah that I don't know much into- about that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm just telling you that there's whole podcasts on guys. Um, now there is there is I can't remember her name, but she's really really good. She's a very good handicapper, um, and she is on ESPN, and she runs kind of their. Their gambling side of things but but she would be the first to tell you that she's you know a female in a male dominated well and don't
1: forget that the the idea that because women are not present is due to the fact that women aren't interested is a flawed premise it is a male dominated industry and there are barriers to the entry for women. You may not think there are, maybe you don't see them um, but, and maybe you do, but that's typically mm. why women are not present. When in an entire world of people, there aren't women, it means that women are, are, are not allowed in. There are huge barriers. And so, I mean, just think about auto racing, right? Okay,
0: but just don't don't put me in that box because I am 100% (laughs) so super into what you're saying right now. As an example, they had a Microsoft commercial with this lady who is a coach for um, the San Francisco 49ers. Right. And they played it all throughout the Super Bowl and all these things and, and still going to this day. And they never showed her one time during the Super Bowl. And I thought, wow, that is like the biggest missed opportunity. Because no, she me- didn't.
1: I don't think she wanted to be shown. Because yeah. had she been, so typically a strength and conditioning coach, or I can't remember exactly her position, but a, a co- coaches are not shown that much during this. You'll see the head coach. But they're not, or, or the head line coaches or the head offensive or defensive coaches. But, but all of the assistant coaches are not just shown. And so she would have been shown singled out because she was a woman, not because of this outstanding job she was doing as a coach. And so I, my understanding is, and anyone out there may correct me, but my understanding is from an interview that I read, that she does not want to be singled out because she is a female coach. And that would have been what was going on at that time. So, so So that's probably why she wasn't shown.
0: The best example of a female coach in men athletics is Becky Hammond, right? So Becky Hammond um, is, is on everybody's shortlist to be the next um, NBA coach, not, not Mm -hmm. to mention, you know, Female NBA coach, but she's worked under uh, Greg Popovich, who's considered to be one of the best coaches in the NBA for years. Um, and she is his right hand person, right? Um, and, uh, you know, well thought of, well respected. You're certainly seeing more of those types of things. Mm-hmm. I think when I was saying male dominated, I was really talking about the gambling side of things where it, be, it, it kind of becomes all-consuming, right? So, like, even if you look at fantasy sports, and I know there's a large female presence related to, to March Madness, to fantasy sports. Um, those, are, those are much bigger. Um, but in terms of putting $100 down on a game and watching the game, that still is <laughs> very male-dominated um and like i said it's all consuming as a man and like even at a time like this it's it's sort of difficult to kind of separate the two because a lot of the times you know on espn they have a lot of shows that are kind of half entertainment half sports i watch one that's highly called highly questionable Um, They do, by the way, you know, it's kind of interesting that as we're having this discussion, you know, when I look at some of the best correspondents on ESPN, um, Ramona Shelburne, uh, Mina Kimes, Sarah Spain, Katie Nolan, right, these are all super well known. Um, I know they often talk a lot about, uh, you know, the the challenges they face, which I'm sure are uh, extreme, but uh, at the same time, you know, I look at the, them as authorities. They certainly know much more about sports and the areas that they cover than than I do. But there's this other element of kind of entertainment that I think is, is sort of fun. And so, you know, getting back to kind of the, the main point of, of like these distractions that you do in these moments, you know, th- the guys that might normally be really interested in injuries to bet on a game, that was never my thing, because I never did that, right? I was always more interested in Mina Khan's dog, right? Like, <laughs> so, so Mina Khans on, on this show. So Mina is from Seattle. She's a huge Seattle mm-hmm. Seahawks fan, and she has a little dog named Lenny, right? And, and so Lenny is like uh, a big part of the show and i i i agree that it's a generalization but even like when i look at the 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 female correspondents that, that i watch and that i like their wife their life does tend to be a, a little bit more well rounded than a lot of the guys that that often it gets it consumes them right And so I'll just speak for the people that I know, and maybe they're a small minority because it it is true. You know, I mean, there's probably a good majority of people that watch things without the need for having money on it. I'm certainly one of them. You know, I just like the two to three hours distraction. So, um, yeah. So, one of the things, so we've already kind of gone a little bit long, but I think it's an interesting discussion. I think at the very least, people want to hear. Something different than you know the <laughs> press briefers that we're getting twice a day, which honestly, like Megan and and Sue talked about this, it's almost feeling like a bit too much at this point because there's not a lot of new information, right? And I'm I'm not really sure why we're doing it because it I think collectively it, it's it feels like a black cloud over the country, right? Um. But well, what my they feeling
1: said- is I, I think that I I want people to not have anxiety, but I want people to understand that science matters and you need to follow the public health recommendations. And if it takes having some fear because of the, in order to accomplish that, that's okay. But the constant drone of conflicting information, and and like you said, and information with no purpose, um, it is is its own negative distraction and away from. For instance, if I'm if my husband and I are stuck at home for two months with zero income. And having to support ourselves and keep our business, our lights on so that there's something there when we open two months from now, I know that I may never retire and I may never have another vacation. So I'm going to really enjoy this two months (laughs) because I am stuck in this two months. The whole world is stuck in the middle of this. So it's all about attitude and finding an attitude adjustment. And I'm lucky I'm at home with a spouse that I get along with. I know there are people who are at home with somebody they may not get along with, or they're at home alone. And so not having sports, which creates community, and being able to be on the phone and watch the game with all these people that you have community with is hard for people who typically are really focused on sports as part of their enjoyment in life. And so what other things can you do? And, and it's getting creative and, and, and getting the sense that, all right, if our stress goes up, as we talked about last week, our immune system goes down. Um, if we The more anxiety we feel, the more at risk we are. So how can we in the situation that we're in, in the moment without any control other than, okay, I don't want to get sick. So I'm not going to go out in crowds and I'm not going to be in, in friend groups, except virtually. How do we, how do we get that attitude adjustment? And I think that, that, that in my books, especially in the good mood diet, 50% of what I write about is the philosophy of your relationship with food, understanding what food can do for you. And, and in this case, it's, it's knowing that your psychological approach to all of this is nearly 100% of what's going to get you through it.
0: Yeah, I think... Um... I haven't had a lot of this. I've had probably more people that have been distracted in the in the last two weeks, but but I have had a few people that viewed this as an opportunity to get started on contest prep. And you know, you and I have had discussion about contest prep. And what I mean by contest prep is physique sports, bodybuilding, things of this nature and more often than not when someone's having this discussion they're not really having the bodybuilding discussion, right? They're having the eat a lot less discussion. And so, uh, you know, I remember having this discussion with this lady and I was just like, Hey, look, this is a great time to build muscle. This is a great time to get sleep under control because as you eat less, all those things are going to go away and it's going to really compromise your immune system. Doesn't mean that you can't be aware, um, my weight is actually going down. I'm doing you know, better in these scenarios. I, I attribute that a lot to sleep, right? Um, but uh, when I look at, and, and I mean, my, my food choices, you know, your food choices right now are just difficult. You know? Um, you know, we weren't the people that stood in lines for, you know, to ration everything right? And um, we do get a couple food services that's really helped. I use Freshly. Um, I would highly recommend that to to anyone. Um, I will say that a lot of these food um, that kind of deliver food to you, they are essential services. They are delivering. So for the most part, they can be helpful. They're they're a little bit expensive. Um, Another one that I would recommend that I've done in the past Um, that people are familiar with is daily harvest which is um, kind of like a shake usually you're going to put something with it but it's it's smoothies right Mm -hmm. Um, and if you can add some protein with that I think that that ends up being kind of a good thing immune system wise eating because otherwise what I see people talking to me about is that they're struggling with snacking right they're just at home you know and other than just like you know lighting the oreos on fire you know they just get consumed easily and so if you want to look at a strategy to not overconsume food certainly being more strategic in what you're eating and why i think makes a lot of sense and i think that well, that's and a really good are i
1: i think that you know again being evidence based and science driven um, there are two things that uh, all research shows us makes the biggest difference in helping people change habits, and this is actually a pretty good time to work on that stuff. Um, number one is is writing down, is is keeping a record of what you're doing so that you actually know what you're doing, and right alongside that is getting coaching, and and what you are offering. Through E2Perform is very evidence based, not to mention that the way you put your recommendations together are evidence based. But the coaching alone is so powerful, and especially right now where people are feeling isolated and alone, to be able to have a coach um, to help you through this and to remind everyone the whole world is going through this. Nobody is alone at the moment. The entire world is going, something like 192 countries right now, we know, are, are, are suffering along with us. And so, so um, the coaching is really important. Um, along with the food prep delivery are CSA boxes. So the one thing that's going to be hard is, getting fresh produce. And so, and, and our fresh produce growers, our farmers, where we love to go to the farmer's market. We can still get that and we can still support them by taking part in the CSA programs that they have, meaning that you pay up front, maybe it's monthly, um, that you give the farmer, uh, a, a, you know, you pay them ahead, they deliver weekly, and they are, they, a lot of them are delivering to homes now versus to central locations for pickup. And you can support your local farmers and keep them in business, and you can get fresh produce. They have recipes, um, they, they have online programs. You can write to them to get advice. It might not be the produce that you always buy yourself, but you'll have the opportunity to try something new And you have the time to do it right now so i think i look at this it's always is your glass half empty or is your glass half full finding for people who always see their glass half empty this is a golden opportunity to try and adjust that attitude um, to communicate with a community of people who are in the exact same boat you are We are doing virtual meals Um, in my family. My children are each living on their own and no one can come home. And so we said, okay, on Sunday at noon, everyone have your your lunch ready and we're going to all go on FaceTime together. And so we had a virtual meal. Virtual meals are incredibly important because we know family meals or community meals are stress reducers and they help us reset so that we don't partake in risky behaviors and we know that that affects children growing up it affects us now too
0: yeah and i think um you know we've actually did a meetup we've we've had uh, more meetings with the staff at need to perform um, just because we need that community right and then i think um you know we did do a meetup Last Saturday, we're going to do more of those um, to where, you know, we can kind of have that social element, right, Um, because I think people need that. It's actually funny because uh, um, through the the poker tournament that I'm going to be playing with my friends tomorrow, we'll all be on Zoom. Um, My wife, her book club is going to be on Zoom, right? So I I really think that a lot of the things that we're gonna figure out, um, we can replicate in different ways, and I think there's gonna be a lot of positives that that come out of it. And it's interesting that you mentioned the thing about retirement. Um, the uh, I, I I don't know if it was you and I that had this discussion. Um, or, or who it was, but I just see a priority shift that will just need to happen, right? And I, I, I've been lucky enough to be able to travel. I know you have as well. And there's just a different um, quality of life at various stages. And, you know, a lot of the things that, that maybe we consider to be necessities. I wonder if we're going to see those things as Mm -hmm. necessities after this, Mm -hmm. right? Because, um, you know, my wife and I, we have have been determined to retire at 55. There's nothing that changes related to our 401k that's going to change that. Now, does that mean that we're not going to work? No, we we. You know, the, the idea wasn't that we wouldn't work. It was that we would work differently, right? We, mm-hmm. would, we would work towards things that, that, you know, kind of fill our souls. Now, luckily, in the case of you and I, um, we are working with people. We are helping people through things that they genuinely struggle with. Um, and so there will be a, never a scenario where Paul is not involved with each form, just so everybody knows that even after 55. But, you know, what I think you'll see is more travel, more, you know, I remember saying this, and I would challenge you to, to think of one as well. Um, and then we can end the podcast on that note. But uh, I was in Costa Rica, and we were driving through Costa Rica, and it was, it was, it's a very weird experience driving in a foreign country because, you know, you're not necessarily accustomed to the signs, it's not your same language. And I remember driving through all the, the little small towns, right, and um, open air houses, um, things of this nature, and I said to my wife, I was like, who's got it better other than, and I think most people the the challenge I was getting to my wife was at least consider the fact that they have it better. Right. Because, you know, mortgages and credit cards and car notes and, and all the things that are really important to us. Well, if no one gives you credit, you don't have that stress. Right. And I I would challenge everyone to kind of look at and analyze their life because a lot of the times there is almost this false bravado. I remember a friend of mine who won $2 million playing poker, and I've told this story before on podcast, but he said something that was really important to me. He's like, Who do you think? Cause we were sitting there in Las Vegas, right? Um, smoking a cigar, you know, we had just got knocked out of a ten thousand dollar tournament which we both had paid cash right and he was like who's got it better you know you and i because we we feel pressure to spend the next ten thousand also right or my friends in alabama who were just sitting there in a twenty thousand dollar shack with no bills you know a couple cows on the on the on the land who's got it best and I always thought that that was a great challenge. It was a, it was a nice way to think of life, you know? And I think that, um, you know, speaking as someone who's had a lot of risk in his life as an entrepreneur and through, through poker, um, many of you have not had, you know, these types of moments happen because you've been able to structure your life in a way that you don't have these great risks. Right where you don't have um, these opportunities for these massive disappointments, I would challenge you that you've not really tasted life until you've tasted that, right? And it's not, what I, what I remember the most, I always kind of joke about it because it's like the, the moment where you're like inside your closet, turning the lights on and off and wondering how you're gonna make it, right? But it's just, it's maybe not not to that level, right? Because that's even a joke. I've never done that. Um, But like, tasting severe disappointment and coming back from that stronger just just really, it, it just defines you more than any success that you might have where you've had no disappointment, right? which I know we've all had struggles, but I'm just saying that sometimes the deeper the struggle, the more you overcome and the, the better you feel about it long-term, right? But so, so backing up for just a second, and you can take this in any direction that you wanna go, but I know that you've been many places. I don't know how much of the culture you've been able to experience and things of that nature. Um, but have you, do, do you feel what I'm saying? Like there, there's people. Well, So
1: there's, there's, I mean, you know, there's, there's a whole host of concepts. Um, yes. So, I mean, we have been in Guatemala doing homestays where people are living with dirt floors and no, you know, barely anything. Uh we, you have three generations of families living in one tiny place with, you know, one big room and one or two maybe bedrooms and, and just enough to get by. Um, to us, we think, oh my God, what, what a, a you know, abject poverty, um, fear of, you know, anything could fall apart the next day. To them, they are so happy because they all live together as one family and they look at us in the United States and it's like what do you mean your children live 2000 miles away like how can you how do you live like that you could never be happy with your family so far away from each other so cultures have adapted and have different priorities what we know is that there's sort of a, there's a, a, a level, in, there's research looking at happiness. And, and there's a level at which once your needs for security are met, that anything you make above that doesn't make you any happier. As true as true measures of happiness um, and satisfaction. So, um, you know, it's something like you know, in our society today, something like sixty-five thousand dollars, or you may know that number better than I do. But it's well, it's quite a bit under hundred thousand dollars a year, and anything you make above that, on all research studies on happiness, does not make you happier. Because you can meet the, the, the real needs of, of security um, and well being for a family. Um, the second thing is what gives us a sense of satisfaction, which is different from happiness. Satisfaction, um, like a job well done, right? And so, research looking at people who donate money giving a check versus the person who digs a hole and plants a tree for the neighbor, the person who dug a hole and plants a tree or goes and pulls weeds to, you know, invasive species um, in in your neighborhood or something. Those people by all measures in, in good research studies, they have a greater sense of satisfaction than people who hand over a check but did nothing physical. And so, so there's, there's the physical, that physical connection. Um, again, it goes back to cortisol, in fact, because cortisol in short bursts is essential for creating satisfaction. And, and the word satisfaction, the second half of it is action. It takes action to have true satisfaction because it stimulates cortisol in the brain and writing a check doesn't do that so so there's so many pieces to all of this and and again it goes back to for me doing the things in your community for instance in our, in my little suburb in my community here someone has created through that next door app uh, where we're all connected as a community a helper's line. And so people have signed up, young people are are buying and delivering groceries and essentials to folks who are, are more at risk right now and are afraid to go out of their homes. And so that action helps us feel a lot better, whether it's the woman who created the online program or these younger people who are going out and supporting others in their community, who, who are have to be more restricted. And so, so there's, there's, I think, so many different measures. Yes, some people are very resilient and they come out of, of a difficult time, you know, stronger, just like you tear down your muscle in order to get bigger, faster, stronger, right? It's the same. Our, our stress response builds on adversity. Uh, and so, so, but others are crushed by it. And so, it depends on who you are and the 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 resources that you have internally and externally to come back from a devastating disappointment.
0: So, I, I'll just I said I would let you have the last word, but it, it's <laughs> st- it it brought up it brought up something that my family does. Um, when we travel. So there were, there was two things. Um, there there was one that, that was pretty funny. So I was in Jamaica and this was before we had kids. And the question that I would ask, because what I wanted to do was I wanted to talk to Jamaicans, right. And I wanted to talk to the lady that's, you know, doing, you know, cleaning our hotel or apartment or whatever. Um, and, um, the, the people that I got really cool with was this one taxi driver. So if you're, if you're ever, you know, in another country, one of the biggest secrets I can give you is get one taxi driver, right? Find someone that you can connect with. And uh, one of the things that we try to do, um, we we almost become pests, but, but, but um, I would ask everyone. Um, and as you might imagine in Jamaica, you know, there's Jamaica, Queens. So when I would ask them, where do you want to go in the U.S.? Most of them would say New York. I want to go to Jamaica, Queens. So the taxi driver, his name was Morris. Um, I remember him really, really well. Um, he said Nebraska. <laughs> and I was like, why would you want to go to Nebraska? And the reason why he wanted to go to Nebraska was because of the fa- his favorite person that he had met. Um, in Jamaica, and we ah. just wanted to visit that person. And uh, we went and had dinner with him and his family. Um, and, you know, not not quite the same situation as it would be later on. But, uh, you know, you have to understand that most of the people that, that do the work in a place like Negril, Jamaica, or Montego Bay, or something like that, they don't live in the grave. They don't live in the right. Bay. And I wanted to see where he lived, right? I wanted to see what that, that was like. And I wanted his family to know that I wanted to see that, right? Because it was really important for me to see his family because that to me is is really super important. And so we did it one other time. And I'll be quick. This is at, at, a, at a time where we did have more money at this point. Um, I do have a, a a really nice watch on at this point, point. Um, and I remember my wife saying to me, you know, she 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 knew this whole routine. We've been doing it our whole life. I can tell you fifteen stories about this. But on Mazalon, there's there's a lot of resorts on one side, and then on the other side is the city right. where they do a lot of fishing um, and shrimping and things of this nature, and so. We invited this, you know, taxi cab driver to have ice cream with us, you know, with my family and whatever it costs. We, we did it. We wanted to get to know him. And then for the next eight to 10 hours, we rented that scenario and we rented the side of that line that no one sees. And my wife said to me at the one time, she's like, aren't you concerned about your watch? And I can tell you just on a personal level, I will happily give someone my watch. I don't have any problem with that, right? So if someone said, hey, you know, I'm gonna take your watch, you don't have to take it, here, thank you, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so i never felt insecure about that. We had my two young daughters, um, we got to see his family. I mean, it was just this amazing experience. I, because of that and, and many of the other experiences that I've had, I just had like this love affair with Mexico and Mexican people. Just because of the relationships that I've been able to, you know, have through these um, types of experiences, but I, I just, I really want everyone to know that there is so much beauty in the world um, that you you can't even conceive, and that that a lot of the boxes that we put ourselves in, you know. Um, if you can get beyond that, and I think this is an opportunity that allows us to get beyond that, you potentially are opening yourself up in a way and Susan described it where, you know, if you're giving your time, rather than giving a check and, and things of that nature, that was really the thing that, you know, I'm sure that both of them thought, wow, you know, this is an amazing experience that this American wants to see my family when we were the ones getting the gift, right? The I mean, how many Americans had walked into you know that part of Mazatlan? Right? How many Americans had visited a family, sat down and had dinner with them? And 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 that's uh something I wish I did more. Um, but I do feel like uh these moments are gonna allow me to go you know what, the uh, life is short. Yeah, and so we need to appreciate things. All right, Susan, well, thank you so much. Um, and uh, I appreciate everybody listening. I know this got long, but I really, you know, I, I, I just think that there's so much information out there that is just about the virus, is just about, about, you know, all these things. And obviously we talked about it, but but it's really more kind of like examining just how, what kind of improvements? What what things aren't you thinking of right now? That when when we're on the other side now, what can you add? You know, um, and though though it is funny because there's all these people, you know, that I saw this one meme where it was like, uh, I thought I would do a deep cleaning uh, if I ever had the time. And then like turns out it wasn't the time that was the problem <laughs> and, and I love that because because even though we're all well meaning myself included I'm sure Susan would admit the same um you don't always end up prioritizing things and and you soon forget you know the things that you kind of made a resolution about, mm-hmm. so hopefully we can kind of create our vision boards and 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 things of this nature of what we can be after this so I appreciate you taking the time. I know it was longer, but I do think people just need to hear something different than CNN. So (laughs) I appreciate you being here and talk to you later.
1: Thanks, Paul. Take care. Stay well. Bye-bye.